Thanks, guys. Grab a seat. Two Peter chapter two. I have to say, it's an absolute uh, joy and privilege to be able to walk us through God's word tonight. But before we get into it, why don't I pray? Dear Lord, thank you so much that you love us and that you sent your son to die so that we can know you and be forgiven. I pray you would help me not to get in the way of your word tonight, Lord, uh, but you would let it come out fully unchained and you would help us to keep being on guard and growing as we wait for Jesus to return. And we pray that he would come back soon, Lord. Amen. Well, I want to know who here loves a good bushwalk. Whether you're down at a Jervis Bay, walking along the cruisy coastal trails, takeaway coffee in hand, or maybe you're up at the escarpment under a tall canopy of eucalyptus trees on your way to see a waterfall, or even if you're heading along the beloved Minamar Rainforest Walk. Oh, my childhood, I love that walk. Bushwalks of all kinds are great. You're strolling along, chatting with friends, family, Ah, the fresh air, stunning views in this beautiful land we call Australia. But if you've grown up in Australia, you will know that although bushwalks are wonderful, they can just also be a little bit dangerous, can't they? Because there's actually lots of dangerous things that we need to be on the lookout for when we're on a bushwalk. I mean, this is Australia. Come on, guys. And if you've grown up here, you know that. And the two things that I'm always on the lookout for when I go on a bushwalk are snakes and cliffs. You're walking along and then bang, oh, oh, you feel a striking pain in your calf and you look down to see a brown snake coiled up beside you. Oh, you shiver in pain as the person next to you screams. And then all of a sudden, you only have hours left to live. I actually Googled it. Average person survives at least seven hours until death after they've been by a brown snake. So more time than I thought, but still not a lot of time here. Snakes and cliffs are dangerous. You might be walking up to a cliff, stunning view. All of a sudden you trip, stumble, and fall over the edge. I mean, this is what freaks me out on a bushwalk, and I know that I need to be watching out for these things. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever seen a snake or gotten too close to a dangerous cliff on a bushwalk before. Yeah? Yeah, both hands. Who hasn't seen a cliff? Come on, guys. I hope no one here has been bitten by a snake, though. Well, today, I want us to think of following Jesus as kind of like going on a bushwalk. Because just like a bushwalk, following Jesus is great, isn't it? But there's also some dangers that we need to be on the lookout for. In this chapter, we see Peter is putting up big warning signs for us as followers of Jesus on this bushwalk. He's warning us of the dangers that we need to be on the lookout for. It's like he's putting up a big sign saying, snake, this is what they look like, watch out. And cliffs up ahead, beware. But what are the dangers that followers of Jesus need to look out for? Well, Peter says that followers of Jesus need to watch out for false teachers. False teachers are like dangerous cliffs that you fall off if you get too close. False teachers are like poisonous snakes 
who lie hidden until they strike you with their lethal bite of ungodliness. But just like snakes and cliffs, they're always going to be around. But if you know what to look for and keep your guard up, then you're going to be fine. And my hope is that hearing after what Peter has to say tonight, that you'll be able to know what a false teacher is, read the signs, and avoid the danger. And in this passage tonight, we see Peter has put up all his big warning signs in the first three verses. And then throughout the rest of the chapter, he keeps pointing us to the signs, highlighting and hammering down what he's already said. So, let's get into it. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. You know how there used to be these false prophets back in Israel in the Old Testament, yeah? Well, it turns out it wasn't just a them problem, it's an us problem too. Just because Jesus has come doesn't mean that everyone's only going to speak the truth. See, Peter equates the Old Testament false prophets with the New Testament false teachers. Okay, so what do we know about these false prophets that will help us understand who these false teachers are? Well, from looking at the Old Testament, we see that these false prophets often spoke a message of security and peace compared to the real prophecies which spoke about God's coming judgment and destruction. And these false teachers, they're no different to the false prophets because they also skip over the hard and uncomfortable truths. False teachers don't warn people about God's judgment. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. What does a false teacher do? False teachers teach heresy. What's a heresy? A heresy is a teaching about God that is false and completely wrong. And sometimes a heresy can be easy to spot. If I told you that God's a big, pink, fluffy elephant, you'd think, mate, come on, that's a heresy for sure. If I told you that Jesus actually didn't rise from the dead or that he's not coming back to return, mm, also heresy. But other times they can be a little trickier to spot. It could be a half-truth or a cleverly disguised lie. Sometimes it can be like an apple that looks shiny and delicious, but once you bite into it, it's actually rotten to the core. And this is what happens when people twist and manipulate God's word, the scriptures. Hear what Peter has to say about how these teachers use the scriptures. Those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters, Paul's letters, to mean something quite different, just as they do with other parts of scripture. And this will result in their destruction. False teachers twist the scriptures. They twist God's word to mean something completely different. And by teaching these clever heresies, these lies, these teachers deny the master, the true teacher, Jesus. If you follow Jesus, he's bought you for a completely brand new life. He's called you to a wonderful life full of godliness and filled with selfless love. 
But these false teachers, well, they reject Jesus by denying his teaching and the wonderful life that he's bought them for. And by doing so, they show that they were never really saved. They only claim to be. False teachers do not know Jesus as Lord. They don't know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. They know about him. They could tell you that Jesus walked the earth, but they don't really know him as their Lord and Saviour. They aren't on the wonderful journey of the Christian life, walking in step with the Lord, growing in godliness. And they're not heading towards the eternal kingdom, are they? They're on a completely different path, heading a different way towards God's sure destruction. But have a look at this. Even though they will be destroyed, in verse 2 we read, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. These false teachers will often have numbers on their side. I mean, this makes sense though, right? I mean, if you dodge the hard truths about the Bible and the scriptures, and you teach cleverly enough and just twist things the right way, you would expect a large following. I mean, give people what their itching ears want to hear, yeah? And the reason they have so many followers is because they wield a powerful force. It's a force that many people give into our sinful nature. And people love following false teachers because they love their sin, indulging in sinful pleasures, shameful immorality, shameful things. And this leads to the way of truth, the right way, getting slandered. The right way we find in the scriptures, well, it leads us to Jesus, doesn't it? Towards a godly life. But false teachers steer people away from Jesus. But why do they do this? I mean, maybe they're just good blokes and they made an honest mistake, yeah? Well, no, it's not an honest mistake. They do it on purpose because they are greedy. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago and their destruction will not be delayed. Peter just comes in and drops some truth bombs here. These false teachers, they don't care about you. They are using you. They see you as a resource that they can exploit, not a person to love. False teachers don't love people. They use people. And although these false teachers seem to be free to run around now and cause havoc... Peter wants to assure the believers that he's writing to, you don't need to worry because God will destroy them. False teachers look and they feel free, but they will be destroyed. And these headings that I've gone through for us, well, these are Peter's big warning signs that he's put up for us in our bushwalk. Peter has told us what a false teacher does. They teach heresy. Why they do it. They're greedy and they love their sin. And what God has planned for them, destruction. This is what they look like. This is how you guys can spot a false teacher. Just like how you would spot a brown snake, for example. 
hmm, I'm on a bushwalk and I see something on the ground that, okay, it doesn't have arms and legs, check. It's slithering on its belly on the ground, check. And it's brown, check. Oh, it must be a brown snake then. Because Peter has put these signs for us, we can immediately recognize and spot the danger. Oh, but uh, Peter isn't done yet. This is just the third verse. What we see Peter do here is use these three verses as a launch pad into an all-out assault on these false teachers. It's like he's got a, a chopper, chopper gunner with two machine gun turrets, and he's just absolutely mowing these guys down. Like they get absolutely wrecked. And as we move through the rest of the chapter, watch how Peter sort of highlights and hammers down on the things that he's already said. He starts off by highlighting their destruction. God can and will destroy them. How do we know this? He didn't spare the wicked in the past. Peter gives three examples of this. Uh, The rebellious angels, the flood, and Sodom and Gomorrah. All three stories from Genesis we read in the Old Testament. His argument sort of goes like this. If this is true, and this is true, and this is true, then we can be absolutely certain that that's true. Let me take you through it. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, in gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world, except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Peter says, if God didn't spare the angels, if God didn't spare the ancient world, if God didn't spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, then you can be absolutely certain he's not going to spare these false teachers. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. Yeah, sure, false teachers exist. They're out and about teaching clever and destructive lies about the true and living God. But Peter wants to comfort the believers, followers of Jesus, saying, God knows how to punish the wicked. He knows how to punish these teachers and at the same time rescue the godly. Followers of Jesus don't need to feel overwhelmed or helpless at the reality of false teachers. False teachers will be destroyed, but the righteous will be saved. And God is especially hard on those who love their sin and reject Jesus. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings without so much as trembling. 
but the angels who are far greater in power and strength do not dare bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings. These teachers, what's their character? They're proud and arrogant, not humble and gentle like the Lord Jesus. And they're so arrogant, they think they're above angels. They think they can act like God and pronounce judgment on evil as if they were God himself. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception, even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin, and they are well trained in greed. They live under God's curse. Peter goes through in this sort of sweep and just highlights their shameful immorality and their love of sin. They're like unthinking animals. They just love evil and their behavior, well, it's disgusting. Their life is full of deliberate sin and it's clear that they encourage others to join in with them. And because they're so well-trained in greed, Peter likens them to one of those false prophets from the Old Testament who was also well-trained in greed. They have wandered off the right road and followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. See, it doesn't matter how clever or greedy you are, God can and will do whatever he needs to bring your greed to an end. And then we see Peter, he's not done yet. He comes back in, reloads the chopper gunner and then goes for another blast. Verse 17. These people are as useless as dried up springs or as a mist blown away by the wind. They are doomed to blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. False teachers are empty. They're useless, like a dried up spring. I mean, what good is that? And they steer people away from Jesus. Yet, they promise freedom. But we know this isn't true freedom, is it? Because they're actually in chains. Chained and enslaved to their love of sin. Peter continues, But they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, 
they are worse off than before. Now, in this verse here, when Peter says people, uh, I think he's referring to the false teachers as they've been the subject of this entire blast so far. Um, But it also rings true for anyone who has claimed to be a Christian at some point and then has turned their back on Jesus. And what Peter says here is that they're worse off than before because they haven't been just been ignorant of the truth, have they? They have tasted the goodness of Jesus, the delicious and wonderful life that comes from following him. They've tasted it only to spit it out. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They proved the truth of this proverb, a dog returns to its vomit. And another says, a washed pig returns to the mud. Knowing the Lord Jesus is like taking a medicine that helps you vomit up all the evil inside of you. You spew it all out and you see the sin that you used to love and you look at it and think, oh, that's, that's disgusting. Oh. Yet, like dogs, these false teachers go back to their sin and they eat it up. They think it's delicious. Knowing Jesus is like taking a bath and it washes you clean of all your sin. Yet, like pigs, these false teachers... Well, they can't resist rolling around in their own filth. If you get to know Jesus and you meet him in his word, the scriptures, so that you call on him as your Lord and Savior, then you can be washed clean and become righteous. If you know Jesus, then you can say goodbye to those chains of sin, can't you? You can be set free and live the life that you were made to live, to be in a relationship with the true and living God. That is what it means to be free. And though these false teachers promise freedom, they are in chains. And they have rejected Jesus and shown that they were never really saved. They only claimed it. Well, that takes us through all of the 22 verses in this chapter. And you can see Peter has just absolutely obliterated the false teachers, hasn't he? He's gone back in again and again, pointing to his sign, saying, this is what these guys are like. But why is Peter going so hard on them? Why is he spilling so much ink over this issue? Well, it's because Peter is a pastor. He has a deep love for Jesus. He has a deep love for God's people. And he can't stand to see them being poisoned by these ungodly people and these lies. But you know what I find really interesting about this chapter is that even though Peter's so passionate and knows this is so important, he doesn't actually address the false teachers, does he? They are what Peter is sort of talking about, but they're not who Peter is talking to. Well, who's Peter talking to then in this chapter? Well, we see Peter is talking to the mature believer. Have a look at these verses from chapter 1. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. And then chapter 1, verse 12. 
Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. Peter's writing to the mature believers in church. If you're a mature believer, someone who follows and loves the Lord, then Peter's words here are for you. Why is that? Why does he write to mature believers? Well, it's because the temptation of a mature believer is that they will let their guard down. Hear these words from chapter 3. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Don't drop your guard. There are still so-called Christian teachers out there today who don't actually know Jesus. They just love their sin and they're going to continue to steer people away from Jesus Christ. You might not regularly come across them, yeah? I mean, I hope you don't. Just like how you don't see a snake every time you go on a bushwalk. But you still need to know what they look like. And when you see a snake, you don't go, I wonder what that is. Could you go up and give it a little tickle, do you? No, you steer clear of it. It's because they're dangerous. I mean, if you walk up to a cliff that doesn't have a guardrail and you know there's an 80 meter drop there, well, you're going to keep surely a body's length before the edge because you know all it takes is one mistake. We need to recognize the dangers and keep our guard up so we can steer clear of false teachers. But to keep our guard up, we don't only want to stay away from false teachers, we also want to be people who individually and as a community cherish the word of God. We want to be people that cherish God's word and its true and careful delivery. We know the way of truth in the scriptures. We want to know it like the back of our hand. And this is going to make us more aware of when people try to twist the scriptures. And as you continue to grow in your love of the way of the truth, in understanding the scriptures, well, it's going to frustrate you when you hear people talk about the Bible in a way that's not true or in a way that's unhelpful. However, as I say all this about false teachers, I want to point out there's a big difference between the false teachers that Peter has been blasting in this chapter and a brother or sister who loves the Lord and mistakenly makes an error. Those of us who preach at church, give talks at youth group, lead Bible studies, often try so, so hard to make sure that the Word of God is faithfully taught. And I'm so thankful to God for all of you who serve our church and lead us in this way. But we occasionally get it wrong. We love the Lord and we follow Him, uh, but we're not Jesus. So we're not perfect and we still make mistakes. It's like the difference um, between someone who goes to a cafe, eats their meal, and then forgets to pay and leaves, versus someone who comes in with a gun pointed at the cashier who's trying to rob the place. I think both people are technically, technically stealing, yeah, um, but it's a little bit different, isn't it? Because one is doing evil on purpose, and the other one just made a mistake, just made an error. But as people who are on guard 
as people who cherish the word of God, we need to be people that deal with error. We can't just shrug it off. It's too important. We need to know God's word in the scriptures and the true and careful delivery of it. Guys, if I've made an error tonight in this sermon, you're going to have to deal with me. You're going to have to deal with others who mistakenly teach God's word. But we need to do so with the character of Jesus Christ, with grace and gentleness, knowing that most likely this person isn't trying to exploit you, they're not trying to use you, because they just love greed. They love the Lord, and they just need guidance. We have God's word, so we can know what a false teacher is. We can spot them from a mile away. So stay on guard and keep getting to know Jesus better on this wonderful journey that is the Christian life. And I thought I'd put two verses up there, but I'll just read them out for you. The last two verses in the book of 2 Peter. Verse 17. You already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you've given us your word, that you are a righteous God who saves. Thank you that you have raised up Bible colleges and teachers and preachers who can explain and walk us through your word so we can know what it means, Lord. Thankful, I'm so thankful that you've given us people who love you and they love your people and want, want to equip them with everything they need for life and godliness so that they point them to the scriptures. I pray that from hearing these words tonight, we will be able to spot wicked false teachers from a mile away, we would encourage others to steer clear of them and to cherish your word, the scriptures. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing now.